Let's dive in together today to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. Uh, we're starting a new series this morning, uh, just a, it's kind of a little two, three, three-part series here uh, for Easter, uh, today, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, called Drops of Agony, um, which I know probably doesn't sound very Easter-y. Um, <laughs> we, we usually think of like cheer and joy and good things at Easter, and, and, all, but, and that's good, and we love to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, for sure. Um, but before we can get there, before we can get to the good news, we first have to look at and think on and, and, and digest the bad news. Um, and there were some things that Christ had to walk through, there were some things that he had to do, some things that he had to experience for us, on behalf of us, because of our sin, that I think it's important for us to know and for us to reflect on in preparation for Easter Sunday. And so we're going to be doing that and looking at the agony that Christ went through in his life leading up to the crucifixion and then ultimately the resurrection. So today I want to talk about the agony of compassion. So when we use that word compassion, I think people get a lot of different definitions or ideas in their mind about what compassion is or what it looks like. And so let's kind of just work through a definition before we dive in this morning. So some people think about compassion as simply feeling sorry for someone else. Right, like if you feel sorry for them and their hurt or pain, that's having compassion. And that's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Um, some people think that compassion is showing kindness to someone in need. Right? Like if you see somebody on the street and they're, you know, they're, they're homeless or they need something, like, and you're giving them something, you help them out, that's showing compassion. And that's, there's some of that there too. But again, I think it's more than that. Um, compassion actually comes from the Latin, and, and it's two pieces there. Pati, which means to suffer. Calm means with. And so the original Latin word really meant to suffer with someone. Like when you saw their suffering, that you stepped into it with them, not just from a distance. Or maybe a current day definition would sound something like this. Um, recognizing the suffering of others and desiring to help alleviate it. All right, so I see it, and then I desire, and I maybe even, if I can, move towards helping alleviate it or, or walk with them in it or somehow help them in their situation. It, it, it involves action. Compassion isn't just sympathy or empathy. It, it involves action, doing something on behalf of that person or their situation. And oftentimes action in these moments of compassion will cost you something. Like it's not usually easy. There's usually a sacrifice involved in moving towards someone in the act of compassion. It'll cost you something. Sometimes it will cost you a lot. Jesus' compassion for us literally cost him everything. Ultimately, it would cost him his life on the cross. But even before it cost him his very life, it also cost him emotionally. Like he, in his human, in his human state, in his humanness, he had to walk through some agonizing choices and some agonizing emotions over the fate of the people that he loved. And where they were headed and what was happening and, and how he was there to, to do that. And he had this longing, he had this desire to help them. And so he was moved by his compassion to step in on their behalf. And in doing so, I believe he sets an example for all of us to follow. And how to move towards others in compassion. That we should have compassion for those who are lost in their sin, for those who don't know Jesus yet. And that compassion should move us to action on their behalf. 
And so as we look at this couple, just few little verses here from Jesus' time this morning, I want us to think on this idea. Compassion for the rebellious calls them to repentance. Having compassion and moving towards someone in their lostness with the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just a nice move. It's not just to show them love or care. It's also to call them out of that sin so they can experience the freedom of Jesus through repentance. And we're going to see both from Christ this morning in these verses. So let's look at verse 37 in chapter 23. Matthew 23, 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So just two points this morning. The first one is this. Jesus had compassion for the rebellious. Jesus had compassion for those who were stuck in the rebellion of sin. But before I dive into these couple verses, it's always important when we're studying God's word to have context, right? To understand what's going on around the verses that we're looking at. So I want to just do a little context this morning before we dive into verse 37. So if we back up to chapter 21, right? Chapter 21 is what we oftentimes call the triumphal entry, what we normally celebrate on Palm Sunday. You're like, Mike, where's the Palm Sunday thing? All right, it's here. It's, it's, it's around this, okay? It's when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey with all the fanfare and Hosanna and the palm branches and all that kind of stuff, and Hosanna to God in the highest, and they're worshiping him as the Messiah. That was 21. That was Sunday. Then the rest of chapter 21 and chapter 22 is the rest of Sunday and all day Monday. He has spent his time in the temple in Jerusalem teaching the people and trying to show them that they need to repent of their sin and come to him as the Messiah. And all he's gotten for a day and a half is rejection, rejection, rejection. In fact, the religious leaders have been challenging him and trying to show the people that he's not really who he says he is. And eventually they start plotting to arrest him because of his teaching. We're, we're, less, we're, we're just like 24 hours removed from the entry on the donkey, all the palm branches, all the waving of the hands, and now we're here. And at the beginning of chapter 23, the chapter we're in today, Jesus pronounces his famous seven woes on the Jewish religious leaders. And these seven woes were basically uh, pronouncements of judgment on their sin and on the rebellion because they were continuing to reject the Messiah and to reject God's ways despite their position in Jerusalem and in Judaism as a whole. So that's what's leading up to 37, okay? That's what Jesus has been walking through for the last day and a half. These sinful, rebellious people, and he has just like put them in their place and told them, listen, this is not going anywhere good. And then we get to 37, and there's this big shift in Jesus' words and in his tone and in his heart in this moment where he, he looks at the stubbornness and the sorrow of their rebellion, and it breaks his heart. And he starts to lament over their sin and over their rebellion. This last fall, if you were with us, we studied the process of lament in the Bible 
And Jesus starts to lament over their sin. In a similar passage in Luke 19, it says that he actually wept over the city and over their sinful state. And he's moved with compassion. He's moved to weeping. He's moved to lament because these are the people that he loves dearly. Right? Like this isn't just this isn't just anybody. This is God's chosen family whom he placed his covenant love on for generations. And they are rejecting him. This is Jesus' family. This is his personal earthly family. He was a Jew. These are his ancestors. These are his people. And he sees where they're headed, and he is just heartbroken, moved to compassion on their behalf. He takes no delight in their impending punishment. He loves them, and he laments over them. And I think this is a great picture of what Peter talks about in in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, You're, some of you may be familiar with this verse, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. That's the promise of judgment. So he's not slow, but rather He is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the heart of God. That's the compassion that he has towards us. Like He longs to see his people turn in repentance and come to him and be restored. Jesus had that heart towards the people. And we see it first in his language. He starts off and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And when he says that, I get the picture of like a loving parent who's trying to talk to their child who's just not getting it, Right? Like they're lost in sin, or maybe they're just having a health struggle, or they're hurting in some way, and they're like, oh, oh child, child, right? Jesus, he's showing his care, he's showing his concern, he's showing his compassion for them, even in the midst of their rebellion. And as he starts to talk to them, he uses the word you or yours several times through this passage, but it, you can't tell it in the English, but in the Greek, the you starts to change as he goes deeper in. It starts as a singular you, like he's talking just to Jerusalem, the city. But over time, it becomes plural. And he starts broadening it to here. Jerusalem isn't just the city. Jerusalem now represents all of God's people, all of Judaism that is in rebellion against him. Jesus has a concern for all of God's people. And he starts addressing them like this. He says, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. You know, you know, like all the, like the nice little signs that they put outside of like the little towns when you're driving through the countryside, and like, hey, welcome to so-and-so. I've never seen one that says like, hey, welcome to, you know, such a Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Right? Like that's never like the tagline. Like you don't want that to be the thing for your city. But It happened. Jesus is actually pulling out here historical record, right? He's saying, like, you did this. In the Old Testament, there's a record of prophets coming to you with God's word, and you rejecting them and imprisoning them and sometimes even killing them. And now it's escalated past even that to now they're not just rejecting God's prophets, those who were his men, who were literally his voice. They spoke on behalf of God. But now they're rejecting and getting ready to kill God himself. 
They're rejecting the Messiah. He's not just a prophet. This is God in the flesh. Jerusalem, which was once the city of David, right? The place where God's holy temple was built, the place where God's glory and presence came down to meet with his people. This was the center of all Judaism, of all faith, of all God's people. But now it's a city of rebellion and rejection. It's a city focused on man's glory instead of God's glory, and Jesus is heartbroken over that. And he goes on, he says, How often would I have gathered your children under my wings? Now that's a very vivid picture for them. He's talking about like a, like a mother hen, like a chicken, like getting her little chickens underneath her wings, right? And, and they would have gotten that because they were an agrarian society. Right? Like they knew exactly what he was talking about, right? Some of us, that's not our deal, right? Like we live in the city in the suburbs, like we're not chicken people, right? So I actually found this little clip that shows a mother chicken literally getting the, go ahead and play that, getting, getting the chicks like underneath her wings there. You see their little heads sticking out, right? Like, and there's even, like they come, they're going to slide underneath her because they're seeking protection. This is the picture that Jesus is giving them, right? She's caring for them. She's protecting them. She's, she's saving them from any impending threats. This is the picture that Jesus was giving to his people. Are we done being cute yet? Okay, we're good. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't take this out of nowhere. This is actually an Old Testament reference. Several times in the Old Testament, Jesus, or God describes himself like this. Let me give you a couple. Psalm 91.4. He says, He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a rampart. Or Psalm 36.7. How precious is your loving devotion, O God, that the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So Jesus is using this picture to tell people, like, listen, I came for this. I came to show you grace. I came to give you care. I came to give you protection and to rescue you from this world and from sin. He came out of compassion and love for the people. It says, but, they, but then he says, but you were not willing. Despite his patient kindness and compassion, they rejected him, and they rejected his offer. And then he says this. He says, your house is left to you desolate. The house he's talking about there is actually the temple. And all throughout scripture, the temple is never referred to as your house. It's always referred to as God's house. But what he's saying is it's no longer God's house. Now it's your house. That's what you want. You want to be in charge. You want the glory. You want the worship. Fine. It's your house now. And it's left to you desolate or uninhabited. What once used to be a home where God's presence lived with his people is no longer a home because God has left. And now it's just yours. This made me think of parents who have to walk through seasons with prodigal children. I 
oftentimes this could be one of the most heartbreaking and, and difficult experiences as a pastor to walk through with a family with parents who are dealing with a prodigal child, whether their child has walked away from the Lord for whatever reason. Oftentimes they're, they're spiraling, spiraling down into addiction or into false religions or just a love for the world. And it's so painful because it just keeps going on and on and on. And the parents are heartbroken. And they're devastated because they love their children. They really do. Even in the sin, even in the struggle, they love their kids. And they want God's best for them. And so they agonize. They live in agony over the sin and the rejection of God that they see in their children. They long to help them bring them back. Their deepest desire is for their children. It's no longer about a successful career or a certain education or some sports dream or whatever other, whatever other thing you had for your kid when he was five. And you're like, one day, they don't care about any of that anymore. They just want to see their child come back to the Lord. That's the picture we have here of Jesus. That he's, he's longing to see God's people repent and come and to worship him again. He's lamenting, he's mourning, he's agonizing over the waywardness. He has the deepest compassion for them and their lostness as he steps into it. And as his followers, as people who take the name of Christ on ourselves, for those who are just made in the image of the people that he loves, we should have this same compassion. We're called to follow him with this same compassion to mourn with our Heavenly Father over the lost people in this world, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our community. God grieves over their lostness, and we should be joining him in that. But do we? Do we really? How often am I really heartbroken and, and praying and, and mourning for the lostness that I see in the people around me? How often are you praying for the salvation of those in your life that don't know Jesus? How often are you shedding tears because you know that if they something doesn't change, that they're going to be lost forever? If I truly have compassion for the lost, I will lament over their rebellion. I won't just look across the room and judge them. I won't just cast them off to the side as if, well, they're not, they don't get it, so they're on their own. I won't just ignore it and walk past it again and again and again. If I truly have compassion for the lost people in my life that God loves then I will mourn over their lostness and I will pray for their salvation. That's what Jesus did. So first we see that. We see that Jesus had compassion for the rebellious. And then point number two is this. Jesus called the rebellious to repentance. 
He had compassion for them. He loved them. He longed to see them change. And so he didn't just say, oh, I'm so sorry. Or No, he, he called them to something else. Look at, look at the passage. Look at there. It's verse 39. He says, for I tell you. Right now, this is just like grammar one-on-one here, but it's super important if you're going to understand the Bible that you, you follow these cues. So the word for there is a conjunction, right? It just means because, right? Because of what we just talked about, because you are lost in your sin, for I tell you, because of that, you will not see me again. Those are chilling words from, from God. And these are actually Jesus' last recorded words to the Jews before his crucifixion. It's the last thing he says to them. He says, you will not see me again. These are his final remarks before he leaves the temple for good. If you look ahead in, in chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus is going to now leave the temple grounds never to return. And as he goes, God's presence goes with him. Jesus has come to these people. He's opened the door for them to have forgiveness and restoration with God, to have eternal life. But here's the thing, friends. He will not force them to walk through it. He will not force us to walk through it. And so he says, you will not see me again until, again, another key word there, until you say, so he's, he's leaving, there's, there's still hope, there's, there's one condition, there's one way that they can see God again in their lives, there's one way they can make it back into relationship with God. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. slightly ironic because those were the words that the people chanted the day before when he rode into the city. Blessed is he who comes in the name. Blessed is the Messiah. Here is God. He's coming to save us. Yes, we believe. Yes, we worship you. They were chanting that. And now Jesus says, until you say that, you will not see me again. He's like, this is actually a quote from Psalm 118 which is a messianic psalm predicting the coming Messiah. It's a psalm of worship. And the whole point of this phrase is acknowledging that, yes, he is the Savior. We believe. So Jesus is basically telling them, like, listen, you will not see me again until you repent of your sin and believe in me for who I am and you worship me as God. The door is still open. But the only way you walk through it is to repent and worship. That's what Jesus is saying. He's calling them to repentance. And that is still true for every single person in our world today. It wasn't just then. This is still true right now. He still cares for every lost person here, and he's calling them to repentance through us. Jesus isn't walking around on the earth anymore. He's given that job to us to be the ones who are calling them back to the Lord. And to do that, we must share the gospel. We must 
be honest with people. We must acknowledge it and care enough to say, listen, I get it. I was there. We all are sinners. We're stuck in sin, and we are in rebellion against God. And the only way we can fix that relationship is through Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. We can't get perfect again when we've already messed up. And so God sent his one and only son to earth to live a perfect life in our place and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To give his perfect life to cover our sinful lives. And he paid our debt and he took our punishment and he died in our place. And he he was buried and three days later he rose back to life. Proving that he was God, just like he had always said, and conquering sin and death so that he could offer us forgiveness and restoration with God if, if we will repent of our sin and believe and worship him. He's saying the same thing to them that he's still saying to us that we still have to say to all the lost people around us. Share the gospel and invite them to come. Invite them to come to Jesus. Invite them to come to church. Like, we have the greatest opportunity next Sunday to invite people to come and to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We must have this same agony of compassion like Jesus. When was the last time you wept or mourned over the lost people in your life? How often do you pray for their salvation? When was the last time that you shared the gospel with them or invited them to church? If I truly have compassion for the lost, I will call them to repentance. I will. That's what Jesus did. That's what he calls us to do.